Hey, welcome back to the Ascent Church Podcast. We have a great episode for you. So let's get to it. Good morning, Ascent. So good to see you guys on this fine Sunday, finally warming up a little bit, uh, which I'm super excited about. Uh, I had uh, a, a heck of a week. Uh, on Friday, Taylor and I tried to take the day off. It's supposed to be a nice, relaxing day. And it was really relaxing until our fire suppression system pipe decided to burst. And uh, I didn't even know water could come from things it was coming from. Like, like the lamp had water coming out of it. I'm like, well, how does this even work? What's going on right now? And, uh, and so I have had uh, one of those weeks where it is really nice to come and be with people who love me and love the Lord. I don't know if you've had a week like that. Uh, I know we all have them from time to time where it's just like stress and overwhelm. And there's just something super powerful about coming and singing with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I want to thank you guys for that. Hearing you guys lift up the praises to God this morning, it did something uh, really, really important to my soul. Uh, I, in fact, I was as I was singing, I felt like this tension in my jaw start to release a little bit. Just the stress was starting to kind of melt away a little bit. So I got to go back to reality after this and, and deal with a wet apartment. But uh, for the time being, I want to thank you guys for that. Now, if you do have your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 31, which is what Kim A. just read for us. And we are talking about money. So just right now, I'll let you guys know up front, uh, one of my favorite pastor friends, my mentor, Rusty Gunn, he has a shirt uh, that I thought about trying to get for this. It, he, he always takes it off when he preaches on money. He pulls his shirt back and it's a target and it says, I'm preaching on money. And uh, that's how pastors feel. Like 99.9% of pastors do not enjoy talking about money. Uh, and the ones that do are the ones that give us all a bad name. Uh, because in my heart of hearts, when I talk about money, when Jesus talks about money, I don't think it's because Jesus wants your money. I don't think God needs your money. And I'll just tell you right now, I've got a lot of ideas for how to get rich. Being a pastor is not one of them. Uh, This is an awful business plan for me to try to get rich on. So why am I talking about money? Why is it important? Well, it's important because money is the the competition that is chief in your heart that will keep you from trusting in God. Now, I don't say that. Jesus says that. The Gospel of Matthew, he says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And we're like, yeah, Blake, we know that because we grew up in the Bible Belt and we heard that. But just think about how shocking that is. Like, if you didn't know anything about the Bible and I said, you can't serve God and none of you would fill in the blank with money. You guys would say, you can't serve God and the devil. You can't serve God and yourself. But Jesus says, no, 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 let's just get to the root of the problem. Let's just get right down to it in the real world. What is going to compete for your trust more than anything else. And it's money. It's your possessions. And you guys know this. You do crazy things for money. And you do crazy things when you don't have money. Uh, the, the most stress, the most strain on our marriages are when we are a little bit short on money. Right now what you would do is if, for most of us anyways in the room, if, if somebody were to offer you a job for a certain dollar amount, whatever that is for you, you would move your entire family to that place. I know you would, because people do it all the time. We relocate our entire families to chase after money. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but what I am saying is people are a lot more likely to do that than to reorient their finances around God. Why? Well, because they trust in their money. And we are rich. When Jesus talks about the rich person, he's talking about you. And you're like, 
I'm not rich, Blake. Like you don't, you know, you haven't seen my bank account. It literally is is, is negative something. Uh, you know, I, I can't even buy a Dr Pepper after the service today. I am not rich, uh, and yet the reason you're not rich is because we buy everything as Americans. In fact, if you make thirty thousand dollars, you are in the top ten percent wealthy in the world. There are people who dream, literally dream about making as much as some of you make that feel broke right now. Like they think if I could just make that much money, these people living on a dollar a day, if I could just make that much money as those Americans who think they are poor, then all my problems would be solved. And yet we don't have money. Why? Well, it's because, well, my friend's got a really cool car, so I got to get a car I can't afford. My friend's got an awesome house, so I got to have a big house. We begin to treat and serve ourselves with finances. We place our trust in those money. And look, I'm not heaping guilt upon anybody because you're looking at a guy who's preaching from a $600 phone right now. Like, I, I'm, I'm with you in this. I swim in this culture, too. And I just want to lay that out there because when Jesus is talking to the rich man who walks away from the faith of Jesus because of his money, we ought to all pay attention because he's talking to us on the global scheme. We are the ones who are the wealthy. And Jesus says, you guys got to pay attention. And we're in this section of Scripture in the Gospel of Mark as we work through where Jesus is trying to offend everybody, I think. Uh, I told you guys in Mark chapter 8, Jesus comes and and it's kind of the the climax of the gospel. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. In other words, you have to take yourself out of the the throne of your life, deciding what is best and what is right for yourself, and put Jesus in the throne. And you're going to serve Jesus' kingdom first, above your own kingdom. And we say, ooh, that sounds cool. I could do that. Jesus first in my life. And then Jesus says, okay, let me talk about sex, money, and politics. And that's exactly where he goes with it. And we're like, Jesus, please, can you just... He talk about some of the things we enjoy, like the grace thing. I really, I really enjoyed that. But Jesus does the opposite of what a salesman does. Jesus isn't trying to sell his religion to you. He's saying, look, you guys keep coming to me. You're very attracted to me. And I don't think you fully understand what I'm asking of you. Because yes, there are blessings in following me. In fact, I believe the only way to true abundant life is through me. But it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some things. Because you're no longer free to decide what is right and wrong for yourself. I am now the one who makes that decision for you. You no longer live for this world. You live for eternity that is to come. You're no longer thinking about 30 years from now. You're thinking about 30,000 years from now. You're putting others above yourself. And it's in that context that Jesus jumps in and this young man comes to him and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Which is a question we've all probably asked at one point in time. What do I have to do? to be saved? What do I have to do to be made right with God? And that's where we find it. What I want to do with this really tricky topic is I'm just going to walk through the text and I'm going to ask the four questions I always ask you guys to ask in your private Bible study time. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I? And how do I live? We start with who God is. Then we see what God has done, who he has made us to be. And out of that, this is how we live. And I just think that those of you who are afraid to give, those of you who the money topic is, is really sensitive, it really comes down to do you believe God is who he says he is? Do you believe that you experience what God has done for you? And do you believe that you are who God says you are? Because if you believe those things, then the how do we live part will be really easy. And then at the end of this sermon, I'm going to challenge you guys something that a lot of you are not going to listen to me on. A section of you probably are going to be mad at me for uh, and then a section of you, hopefully, my prayer is that you're going to try this crazy way of living that I am going to give you at the end, this challenge I'm going to give you, and you're going to begin to see the blessings from it. Because I truly believe, I've said this to enough people, I've lived this way enough to know that God will show up if you take this challenge. Now, I'm just going to challenge you guys right now, kind of reverse psychology and say most of you aren't going to do it. Because uh, it's very challenging. And because money is a very good God. 
We, we, we trust in money because money doesn't ask much of us, right? I can trust in my 401k and my 401k is not going to tell me how to be married. I can trust in my 401k and it's not going to ask me to sacrifice myself for others. God asks some things of me. And so we're going to be tested today. Do we trust in God or do we trust in money? We, we can't serve two masters. We can either serve God or we can serve money, but we cannot serve both. And by the way, if you have any suspicions about me as a pastor and money, I would say run as fast as you can. You should always run from pastors who you think want your money and go somewhere where you can invest your money, where you believe in what the mission and the vision is, because this is for your soul. This is for your heart. This is not for a cent. This is not for me. I can't say that enough. Now, would I love to have a building for a cent? Yes and amen. Our dream team. How many of you would like to have a building for a cent? Yes. Amen. Okay. That's great. (laughs) Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Let's jump in. Who is God? People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. Now, that sounds really weird in our context. I I get it. Uh, But this is in in Hebrew culture. Touching them would mean that he was blessing them, just putting his hands on them to bless them. Verse 14. uh, Sorry, end of verse 13. But the disciples rebuked them. So I would say, get away, children. He's too busy for you. Verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. After taking them in his arms, he laid his hands on them and blessed them. This is how we must take our money and the way we view money. And that is as a child to our father, God, that we trust in him for everything. And I think that as we read on towards the end, I'm going to skip down to verse 29. We see Jesus explicitly say that. So verse 29, Jesus is telling us the benefits of living this way, of of giving all of everything we have financially to God and allowing him to be the manager of our money. It says this, truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. And look at what he says you will receive more of. And I want you to look for what he says you won't receive more of. So he says you'll receive more houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And here's what you won't receive more of. Fathers. Do you notice that? Jesus left that part out because in God we have one father. See, the the key to understanding finances and giving and trusting God is to see him not as a heavenly principal waiting to smack you for not giving the right amount of money, but as a heavenly father who wants you to trust him. I I don't know if you guys know kids very well, but they don't seem to care much about money, do they? They just don't even have a concept of it, right? Like it's it's dad, I, I, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this. They don't even think about the electricity bill. They don't think about who pays for the water. They don't think about how much things cost or, you know, what, what would a house possibly cost? I love asking kids, what do you think a house costs? $34. <laughs> I'm going to have a Lamborghini when I grow up, Blake. You know how much that costs? I don't know, like 15 bucks. You know, like, I don't understand why my parents don't just have a couple Ferraris outside. Uh, my brother-in-law, Trevor's here, so I'm going to pick on him. When, when, uh, when he was little, he used to always ask me, he would like show me these cool cars like a Bugatti or something. He'd be like, Blake, why don't you buy that? And I'm like, Trevor, money. And he's like, yeah, you just spend money. Just save up and spend the money on that thing. And, and it's, it was just such an innocent way of looking at the world because that's how kids look at the world, right? We trust that our parents are going to take care of the basics. And we come and we ask for things and, and our parents have to decide for us to say no. If we said yes to our children every time they asked for something, we would be beyond broke. And maybe some of you, that's why you're broke because your, your children 
get everything they want. And I would just say some financial tips is to say no. It'd be very helpful for you. But what if we viewed God in that way that he was going to take care of our basics in life? In fact, this is what Jesus argues in the, the Gospel of Matthew. He, he tells us these people who are worried about what they're going to wear and they're worried about tomorrow and they're worried about finances. And Jesus looks at them and he says, look at the birds in the sky. He says that they are of way less value than you as humanity. And God makes sure they have enough food every day, doesn't he? So if God takes care of the birds in those ways, then why would he not also take care of you? And you see, I believe what God is asking us to do with our finances and, and why he pushes us to give is because he wants us to trust him. I think it's, it's a beautiful picture of uh, like a little kid trying to trust their father as they jump into the pool. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but I have this image of, of my little brother. Uh, we were on a, a trip at a, at a hotel, and they had that hotel pool, and you know he was just barely able to kind of start walking and, and get in the water and those kind of things. And uh, my dad was in the pool, and Peyton would would uh, stand on the edge of the pool, and you know at first my dad would hold his hands and he would jump into the water, and then my dad would back up a little bit, and and Peyton would, would kind of reach all the way out there and grab his hands and jump first. Then my dad backed up far enough where Peyton couldn't he couldn't reach his hands, and my dad said, "Come on, trust me, jump, jump." And you could just see Peyton's little head spinning. Like, ah, I don't know if I can do it. I'm just going to try to lay out and, and maybe touch his hands. My dad said, no, you got to jump. You got to jump. And it was just this moment of, do I trust this man that I call dad? And to see him jump. And of course, you know, I'm sitting there 14 years old. Like, there's no risk of him drowning. He's got floaties on. My dad's right there. But in his little mind, it was this leap of faith. As he jumped into his father's arms. Friends, with our, with our finances, with our giving... The challenge I'm about to give you at the end of this message is going to be like that jump. I think God's saying, come on, I'm right here. I know there's a little space where you're going to be in the air, over the water, and you're going to have to trust me. And yet that's what we do because he's our heavenly father. Who is God? He's our father. If you don't get that point, you're never going to give. Me telling you to give will do no good because you first have to trust that God loves you and he's your father, that you are more valuable than the birds. And yet if God takes care of them, he'll take care of you also. That's why the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus gives us to pray every day starts with our Father in heaven. He wants to say, give us our daily bread. So that I'm not promised to have 17 mansions. And we're not prosperity preachers here to send. But you know what I am promised? I'm promised that there's always going to be enough. He's going to take care of me. And as, as, a, as a Christian who has given to God... I grew up in a family where I learned to give, and I'm very thankful for that foundation. I have seen over and over and over and over again. I could tell you story after story after story over how I should have been out of money. I should have not known what to do, and God provided through his people in various ways. Like He always provides what I need for the next day. Who is God? He's our Father. And the next question is, what has he done? And this is, this is what this young man doesn't understand. See, he, he has Jesus right in front of him, and he misses him. And I'm afraid some of us, we have Jesus right in front of us, and we, we, we miss what he offers us, what he can do for us. So this, this young man comes up to him, verse 17, and it says, As he was setting out on a journey, he being Jesus, a man ran up and knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says this thing that's kind of confusing. He says, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. And some people have used this verse to say, look, Jesus says he's not God. But really what Jesus is doing here is exactly what he did in chapter 7, which he is testing this man. So in chapter 7, I know you guys don't remember my sermons as well as I do, because I preached them, but in chapter 7 of Mark, 
uh, this woman comes to Jesus, and she's, she's a Gentile, so she's not an Israelite. She says, uh, can, I, can I take part in what you're doing? And we know as Christians, yeah, Gentiles are they're allowed in, right? Because none of us would be here if not. If it was just for the Jewish people, uh, pretty much all of us are, are out on that. Uh, and Jesus says something like that. He says that the, the food of God is for the children of God. And it's a test because this lady then answers him with faith. And she says, yes, but even the dogs under the table get the crumbs. And Jesus says, because of your answer, you are saved. She got it right. She saw Jesus as the Messiah, not just for the Jewish people, but for the world. She saw him for who he really was. This young man completely misses the test. Jesus comes to him and he says, nobody is good. And I believe the proper answer to the test here is, yes, Jesus, but you are God. You are the only one that is good. I know that there's a standard of goodness and I don't meet that standard. My only hope is you for eternal life. So Jesus says, there's no one good except God. And then he lays out the commands. This is a quote from Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, but he adds a command in there. Verse 19, he says this, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, which is the one Jesus adds in, do not take from others, do not uh, lord your money over others, because Jesus is getting right to the point of this guy's heart. He says, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the correct response to this for the guy is to say, well, I fail. If that's the standard, I have not completely lived up to that standard, because there's no one good except for God. You just told me that. But what does he do? It says, he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these from my youth. Yeah, I'm good. I did it right. Like, I, I don't know if you've, you've met a person like this, where it's just like they're so self-righteous in everything they do. They, they're never the one who has done wrong. Like they're always in drama. There's always stuff going on in their life, but it's never their fault. You guys met people like this? It's just like, you know, you're kind of the common denominator. You, you've been married 17 times Maybe you're the, perp, the, the reason. I don't know, if you've been married 17 times, I apologize. I try to choose a, a massive number. Uh, if you're in an argument every other week, maybe you're the problem here. But it's like, no, I'm, I'm good. It's, it's always the other person's fault. It's always what they're doing. This is what this guy does. I'm, I'm righteous. I've done those things. So I have eternal life, right, Jesus? And then it says this, verse 21. This is really interesting. It says, looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving. Why? Because he had many possessions, or because he trusted in his money. What's interesting is verse 21 says, Jesus loved him. This is the only time in the entire Gospel of Mark where Jesus, it says that Jesus loved somebody. And we know Jesus loves everybody, but this is Mark saves it for this purpose right here to say Jesus loved this guy. Why would he do that? Well, we have to go back to Mark chapter 4, verse 18, the parable of the sowers. And what we find there is this really interesting line. I'm building the suspense by making you wait. Mark chapter 4, verse 18. Others are like seeds sown among the throne, the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. So they, they hear the gospel, they're attracted to the gospel, which all of you are here, you're attracted to the gospel, you wouldn't be here, unless somebody drug you here, and I apologize, I'll try to hurry up for you. For those of you that want to be here, you hear the word, but look at this, verse 19, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. The deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires, or the love for other things 
seeps in. So what's going on here? Jesus loves this guy, but this guy loves his money. Jesus is dismayed because although he loves this guy, this guy loves his money more. See, it's not a sin to be rich. It's a sin to love your money and trust in your money more than you trust in God. And what Jesus is doing for this guy, he's saying, I'm offering you the way to eternal life. That through me, through my life, my death and resurrection, you can be made right with the God of this universe. You can be called a child of God through what I'm about to do for you. And this guy walks away because he has a lot of money. And he doesn't want to have to give that money up or trust God with that money. It's a tragic thing. So what has Jesus done for us? Friends, he has died for you. He came and he bled and he died so that you might be a child of God. And if you are self-righteous in yourself, like I've seen a little bit of Jesus, I'm fine on my own, then, th- then you're not going to give because there's no reason to. There's no joy in your heart out of that. But just as we sing songs of worship and joy because we love Jesus, because we're so overwhelmed with what he's done for us, the same is true of our giving. Those who give financially to do it to gain something with God or others, they'll eventually burn out. But those who give because God has given to them in such a great way, they will never give out on giving. Because you can never give to the extent that God has given to you. And as I grow in my faith and I I see more and more of the depths of my own sin and my thoughts and my dark heart at times, and, and I hear that Jesus says, I still love you, Blake. I died even for those blind spots you didn't even know were there, that you still don't know are there. My heart and my love for him grows. And I say, Jesus, everything I have, it's not much, but it's yours. However you want me to spend it, however you want me to manage your money, I will manage your money because of what you've done for me. I love this quote from uh, Randy Alcorn. He says this, Our giving is a reflexive response to God's grace in our lives. It doesn't come out of our altruism or philanthropy for which we might congratulate ourselves. In other words, it's not like, look at me, I gave, I'm awesome. No, that's not where our Christian giving comes from. Rather, it comes out of Christ's transforming work in us. We give because he first gave to us. While our giving to him pales in comparison to his giving to us, it pleases God when we follow his example. The greatest passage in all scripture on giving, and he's referring to 2 Corinthians 9, uh, specifically verse 15. The greatest passage on giving in all of scripture ends not with congratulations for your generosity, but with thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When God's grace touches us, we give joyfully. There's a parable in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. It talks about a guy who has uh, found a treasure buried beneath a field. And it says the guy gladly goes to town and he sells everything he has so he can go by the field with the buried treasure. And Jesus says, this is how it is with the kingdom of God. We look foolish to the world. Uh, I pulled up our, our giving because we got a, uh, a receipt for our giving, as you should have if you gave to Sentin last year. And uh, Taylor and I were just kind of looking at it. I was talking about giving specifically in a sermon, so I knew it was coming up. And we just looked at how much we gave. Now, for some of you, that amount would be like, ooh, that's puny. Uh, for others of you, it would be like, wow, that's, that's a lot. I can't believe anybody would give that much. For us, it's a pretty big amount. And we were, we were looking at it and uh, just talking about the, the, the amount that we had given and uh, what we could have done with that money. And, and yet... There was something in my heart that said, but I wouldn't trade what we've given for anything. Like there's no, no, no part of me that wanted to be congratulated for what we gave. We gave joyfully because we know of what God has given to us. And that's what the gospel is saying. We should be like this man who gives not because we have to, but because we get to. Like I know there's a, there's a great treasure for me in Jesus. He's far greater than any treasure on this world that I have. He's far greater than any home I could have bought with that money. Any car I could have bought with that money. He is so good. 
that the only natural response I have is to give out of that overflow of joy in Jesus. Who's God? He's our Father. What has He done? He sent His Son to die for us to give us the greatest gift possible, the gift of eternal life. Now, the third question is, who are we? Verse 23, let's pick it back up. Jesus looked around and said to His disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at His words. Again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And by the way, the reason they're astonished uh, is because they equated money to blessing, uh, which we still do to this day. When, you th- when I say think of somebody who is blessed, you probably think of somebody who's financially prospering. And that might be true, but blessings can also be a curse because if we are not blessings, uh, our money can also be a curse, not a blessing, because if we have a lot of it, we can be tempted to trust in that instead of God. So. When I uh, go to the Dominican Republic and I see people who are worshiping God and they have floors for dirt and a mud roof, my initial thought is they are not blessed. It'd be a blessing for them to be able to have the kind of things we have. But then I hear them worship and love God and the joy and the the heart that they have for people just naturally. And I think, wait a minute, maybe they're the blessed ones. Maybe I'm the cursed one because I'm so caught up in my materials and, and, and the stresses of American life that I'm missing out on the simple joy that they have in God. And Jesus says here, it is hard for a person with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples say, wait, we thought the blessed people were the ones that had money. And it says this, it is easier, this is Jesus, it's kind of making a joke here. Uh, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Which is saying it's impossible. Verse 26, they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? If not those guys, then who can be? Looking at them, Jesus said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. See, the only way we can be saved is through Jesus. That's it. It's impossible for you to save yourself. I want you to understand that. Like before the throne room of God, there's not a single person in this room who can say, Jesus, look at what I did with my life. And and it'd be good enough. Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, Romans tells us. The only hope Blake Farley has, the only hope that the greatest sinner you know has, which might likely be me, is before the throne room of God, Jesus Christ says he's mine. And God looks at Jesus' righteousness instead of my righteousness. That's the only way that it's possible for any man to be saved. If I say, what is your response to God when he says, why should you be my child? The only proper response is because Jesus has died for my sins. I trust in him and him alone. Verse 29 says, truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or, or sorry, I missed Peter's uh, foot in the mouth statement. Uh, verse 28, Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything and followed you. So Peter's like, man, we're pretty good then. If, that, if that's the way it works, I, I left everything. I, I dropped my net. I came with you, Jesus. I'm pretty awesome, aren't I? Jesus is like, oh, Peter, you don't get it, man. Verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus said. There is no one who has left house. I put my foot in my, in my mouth again this week, by the way. Uh, again, this is just throughout the series, the Gospel of Mark. I, I feel like I, I really resonate with uh, Peter uh, because I just say things that come out. So when our, when our whole house began to flood, uh, my wife was in the room. I was, I'm going to give you guys a really uh, an image. And I'm sorry for this. I was in the bathtub and uh, enjoying my relaxing day. And my wife comes in with our dog and she's talking to me. And then all of a sudden she says, do you, do you hear that? And I could hear her, like, touching something in the closet beforehand. Like, the door was shutting or something. And, uh, and, and so she, she said, do you hear that? And it was like a little trickle. And I said, no, it's fine. It's probably just something dripping. And then the next thing I hear is, whoosh, like a torrential downpour. And, you know, like, the nice husband thing to do would be like, oh, let me check that out. Not me. I said, what did you do, Taylor? 
<laughs> and then I ran around the house naked trying to get all of our stuff out of the flood. <laughs> but Peter goes and he says, uh, we've left everything. You're welcome for that image. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, Jesus said. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now look at what he says. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields. And then he adds one with persecutions. This is not the prosperity gospel. There will be pain for following me with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. Now, I under, always understood Jesus when he said, if you store up wealth uh, here, it'll, it'll be here, it'll, it'll rot. Nobody takes a U-Haul with them when, when they're buried, right? Uh, so you're storing up treasures in heaven. But Jesus says, you'll receive 100 times more now in this lifetime. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. If I give money to you, that money's gone. I don't have more of it, I have less of it. But Jesus would say, that's fundamentally missing your identity in Christ. Because your identity in Christ is that you are a family member. You are in the biggest family in the world, in fact. As I thought about this, I thought, you know, the money that Taylor and I gave has really, really actually multiplied what we own. It's multiplied the blessings that we have because the, the pipe bursting and breaking, I can't tell you how many people have shown up to help us. Uh, not physically, because there's really nothing you can do. Uh, but they've shown up by saying, hey, can we buy you a hotel room? Hey, we have a, we have a place where you can stay. And as I was preaching and I was preparing this sermon during the week, I thought, you know what? I own a lot of houses, right? Like right now, I know I could go to China and a guy I don't even know around, like I've never met him. All I have to say is Jesus's name and all of a sudden he knows I'm his brother and I have a place to stay in China. I thought about the blessings of Taylor and I, you know, as, as church planners, uh, we really shouldn't be able to go on vacations and yet every year somebody has paid for us to go somewhere to get away and to refresh. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a blessing. Right? Because when you come into the family of God, what you learn is, is we are here for each other. That it doesn't matter. If, if you can't pay your light bill, you don't have to try to worry about that or go to the government for help because the government often is inept at helping us. But that we can come to our church family and we receive support that we wouldn't otherwise support. We wouldn't otherwise get. It's just like in your real family. There, there's nothing that my brother or my sister could do that would make me not take them in if they were homeless. Like if my little brother comes to me and he says, Blake, I need help. I'm going to do all I can to help him. I want to make sure he has a meal. I'm going to make sure he has a place to stay. Why? Because he's my brother. And Jesus says it's the same in my family. You see, so that takes a lot of pressure off of us when we give because we're giving not to get blessed, but from a place of blessing. I, I don't have to give with a scarcity mindset, but I give with this mindset that it's all mine already. There's a, a great uh, parable, not in the scripture, it's out of scripture, but it's, it's about this, uh, these two kids. And this one kid comes from a really poor family. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a believer in Christ. This other kid comes from a really rich family and uh, they're teenagers and they're out and they're, they're up on the hill and this rich kid's like, look, my father owns all of this and this and this and this and he's telling him all that he has and this little poor kid says, that's awesome, but my dad owns everything because my dad's the God of this universe and he said it's all mine. That is blessing, my friend. When I have that mindset, when I know that my father is God, my father's going to take care of me. He already has in Jesus Christ. Giving becomes not something that the pastor is trying to force me to do, but giving becomes something that is natural as singing praises to God. Now, Jesus gives us this challenge. I said it was my challenge. It's actually Jesus' challenge. Verse 31 it says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. 
And here's what you know if you live life long enough. Every time I try to put myself first, I end up last anyways, especially in finances. Anytime I, I begin to feel selfish or I begin to feel like I deserve this, I got to treat Blake first. I know I can't afford it, but the bank said I can, so I'm going to get something I can't afford. What ends up happening? That thing that I wanted begins up owning me. See, I get a whole bunch of debt, and then all of a sudden I think that I'm living the life I want to live, but I've lost 100% of my freedom. And you guys know this. Those of you who have mortgages and car payments and, and those kind of things, you, you know that you can't quit your job tomorrow because you've got to pay those things. Like if I go to my banker, even though she's my aunt, and, and I say, really, I'm not feeling fulfilled in my job, uh, so what I want you to do is just kind of clear my debts, and uh, I'm going to go try to pursue a job I like better. She's going to look at me, and she's going to say, no. That's not how it works, Blake. You're a grown-up. You've got to go to work. You've got to pay the things you've already said you're going to pay for. And see, what ends up happening is when I get the $600 phone because everybody else has it, when my kids need a $600 phone because everybody else has it, and what four-year-old doesn't have a $600 phone now? I mean, I've got to keep up with everybody. What ends up happening is my money that I have gets lower and lower and lower, and before you know it, your paycheck is like 17 cents. And you're like, wow. If this is what the high life looks like, I don't want to be in the high life anymore. When I put myself first, I always end up last. Jesus says, what I want you to do, and this is really scary, I want you to flip that. I want you to, in this new normal, this new way of living, we're going to put others first. We're going to put my kingdom first, and we're going to put ourselves last. Really practically what this looks like is most of us, uh, we take our money, say we have $10, and we have three buckets. We have our living bucket, we have our saving bucket, we have our giving bucket. What we normally do is we take our money and we first put it in the living bucket. I've got to pay my debts, I've got to pay for my food, I've got to do everything that I can do with my money. And then if there's any left over, I'll put a little bit in savings for my kids. And if there's like anything left over at all, then I'll give. And Jesus says, what I want you to do is I want you to move these buckets around. We're going to put giving here, saving here, and then living here. Did you guys hear that? Or did an angel just play a harp behind me or something? I was like, what in the world's going on? Put our, put our giving here. So what I'm going to do first is I'm going to give. And you say, Blake, but yeah, but what if I don't have enough for the rest of the stuff? And I would say, that's why it's called trusting in God. It takes no trust to give leftovers. It takes trust to give that which comes first. I'm going to give first. I'm going to save next and then I'm going to live. And I, I know some of you, you're like, Blake, I'm so over my head in money right now that I couldn't do that if I wanted to. And I'll say, we're here to help you. Like, I want to help you get organized so that you can give those things. But here's what I'll also tell you. You will never give if you're waiting to have enough to give first. It takes an act of faith to give first. It doesn't matter how much money you've had. I've talked to people who are so wealthy, it blows my mind. They tell me they can't give a percentage of their money first. I'm like, if you can't give, nobody can. Because you're so rich. But they don't see it that way because it takes faith to give, to take the jump as a little kid jumping off into the pool into their father's arms. So what I want to challenge you guys to do is take up the discipline of tithing. It's the first 10% of what God gives you. The first part is really important because it's that part. It's that part that takes the faith. That's why God cares about your money. That's why God cares about tithing. It's not like a vending machine where I give 10% and then God's going to multiply it by 100. I've never personally had that happen in my life. But you know what I have had? Time and time again, I've felt my father's arms as he's provided enough for me. As I've given, and I've given, and I've given, and I've trusted God with that which comes first. And I'm going to play a video of a guy named Dave Ramsey. I'm going to do that for two reasons. Number one, we are about to start our DNA groups. You should have a sign-up uh, sheet underneath you. 
somewhere around you. And on that, on the back of it, you can check, I want to be a part of a financial group. We'll help you get your finances kind of back in order. This guy speaks very straightforward. I like him. He says things that I probably wouldn't say. It's very straightforward and to the point. And uh, he's not afraid to offend anybody, uh, which is a lot like Jesus here. So we're going to look at this video, and it really explains what tithing is, because there's a lot of misconceptions about what tithing is and what it means to put God first. And here's the thing. I don't control you. I, I can't tell you what to do. I'm not going to look to see who gives. We put our offering plates in the back. Uh, you can give online. You can do those things. This is between you and God, an overflow of your heart with him. And I'm telling you this, and I pray that you believe me. From the bottom of my heart, I tell you this because it's for your good. Because when we put others first, when we put God first, what actually ends up happening is then we find the fulfillment and the peace that we've been searching for. So it's about a seven-minute video. I'm going to let Dave finish out the sermon. I'll come back up at the end, and I'll pray, and then we'll sing to God. Instructions for giving? Well, the Bible says to give a tenth. Deuteronomy 28 says that. Give a tenth, a tithe of your increase. The word tithe, when you look it up in the Hebrew, means tenth. I had one pastor tell me, he says, well, I tell my people it's okay to tithe 5% when they're getting started. And I said, well, that's okay, but don't tell them to tithe 5% because that's mathematically impossible. You can't tenth the 20th. (laughs) Just tell them to give an offering until they can get up to that point. I'm all about the grace on this stuff. I'm not a big rule keeper anymore. I I like the rules because I kind of know what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not freaked out about the rules either. So I'm not going to try to tithe, try to tenth the 20th. It's a tenth. It's a tenth. That's 10%. Well, is it on the gross or on the net? (laughs) You ever heard that one? This is hilarious. 2.7% of evangelical Christians tithe. Less than 3% of evangelical Christians tithe. And people ask me, gross or net? Who cares? None of you are doing it. I had a big theological awakening. I just figure I'm going to give on the big one, the gross. That way, if I get up there and I'm wrong, I'm okay. (laughs) So that's the way of looking at it. The Bible says to do it first before you do anything else. First fruits, which means off the top. 22 times in Proverbs alone it says first fruits. Proverbs is written to an agrarian, an agricultural-based culture. So when you're doing a harvest, the very first tenth of the harvest that comes in is off the top. And it goes to the local church, which is a New Testament representation of the Old Testament storehouse. Offerings are different than the tithe. Tithes and offerings are often used in the same sentence. The tithe is 10%. It's before you do anything. It's first fruits. It's off the top. If you look at our budget forms, charitable giving is the number one line on the budget forms. You need to do that before you do anything. Offerings, though, are different. They're above the tithe and are freely given and typically given from surplus. People often quote, and I've even been known to teach on the widow's might, how the widow gave all. But that scripture is misused a lot to say that offerings should be given every time regardless of how broke you are. You're supposed to take care of your own household first or you're worse than an unbeliever. And that means you need to get your tail end out of debt. You'd be tithing off the top, but before you do a bunch of offerings above that, an offering that is not from extra excess money is unusual in scripture. Now I want you to go get you a bunch of extra excess money though, so that the offerings go up. I don't want you to just cut everything off. That's not the point. But I have met people who are behind on their house payment, but they're current with the local ministry they promised to support. And that was not the church. That was an offering in a parachurch situation like that. And that is not biblical. That's backwards. 
You're supposed to take care of your own household first. Then you're going to get to those. If you'll do the steps we're talking, you get to do tithes and offerings. You're going to get there, I promise. The tithe is pre-law. Sometimes I'm teaching this and people say, oh, now you're doing that Mosaic law thing. You're going back to the Old Testament and, you know, Moses. And No, I'm not. It's before Moses. Way before Moses. Genesis 14 is the first time the tithe shows up. Abraham is coming across the plains with huge treasures from two cities he had just flattened while he was bailing out his idiot nephew, Lot, yet again. <laughs> Read it, it's in there. That's exactly what happened. And Abraham, here he comes across the plains with all this treasure. This is the first time the tithe appears. Genesis 14, this character comes up that's kind of Melchizedek. He's a little spooky. He has no beginning and no end. He's a priest of Salem, and nobody knows where Salem is. It's a very, very... Some people call that an appearance of Jesus. And I'm not going to get into the theological arguments on it. Basically, an unusual guy shows up here that is a priest. And Abraham bows before him and gives a tithe, a tenth of all the spoils right there. Well, you see it again when Jacob wakes up from his dream where the angels were ascending and descending. You remember that dream? Anybody remember that? Jacob's ladder, not the movie, the Bible verse. <laughs> and, and he says, surely the Lord is in this place. And he built a Bethel, an altar there, and gave a tenth of his income, Genesis 28. This is before Moses was a twinkle in his mother's eye. This is not law. This is pre-law. Abraham is the father of the faithful. He was being guided by God's spirit. And that's what this is about. The tithe is in the New Testament. Matthew 23, 23, Luke eleven forty two, 42, both say the same thing. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and other miscellaneous jerks. <laughs> For you give a tithe, a tenth of all that you have, and you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. This you should have done. The tithe without leaving the others undone, justice, mercy, and faith. You should be doing both. If you have a red letter Bible, that's Jesus talking. He says you should be doing both. And I, I know there are some denominations and some doctrinal differences on that, and some of your churches don't teach a tithe. They don't teach giving a tenth of your income. And I'm perfectly cool with that because it's not a salvation issue. We're all on the same side here. And if you want to teach whatever, that's fine. But I can tell you this, the people that win are giving. That's the bottom line. And whether you go by a tenth or whether you go by more than a tenth or whether you just give and you understand he owns it all and it ends up being a lot, I don't care. That's the spirit you've got to have. I'm not mad about this. I'm not a bit angry about this. I can tell you this, it has completely set me free from my addiction to stuff. It really has. And it's set my spirit free to become things I never dreamed I would be. Never give with the motive of having your giving returned. If you give, it'll be given back to you. Yes, it will, but it's not necessarily money. Open for, test me, says in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven, it says in Malachi, and pour out for you a blessing that you cannot contain. And this is referring to the tithe. He promises a blessing you cannot contain if you tithe. But the word blessing, when you look it up in the Hebrew, does not mean BMW. <laughs> it doesn't say that. The word blessing in the Hebrew, if you look up the root word of it, means peace. When I was going through bankruptcy, I had one of these little blue-haired church ladies said, the only reason you don't have any money is you don't have enough faith. And I said, well, the only reason I don't have any money is because they took it all. <laughs> and all I got left is faith. <laughs> so apparently that theology didn't stick, you know. But I'm not going to argue about that one either. The point is you can't lose by giving, can you? And, and we get into all these doctrinal hair-splitting contests, and I'm not going there. Bottom line is, you can't lose by giving. Amen. Molly, if you want to go ahead and make your way up here, uh, I'm just going to close in prayer. Uh, if you would, bow your heads, close your eyes.
Father, I, uh, I come before you uh, understanding the depth of my own sin. and uh, Lord, I understand, uh, God, that my motives uh, are not always the best. Uh, yet, and Lord, I, I pray that in this, people would be able to sense the pureness of heart uh, that I believe you have. And, and I, I honestly have for these people that what I'm asking them is not to give uh, for my sake or to give because you need the money. Uh, you, you own everything but to, to give for their sake. That there is a peace that comes when we trust our Father, when we, when we make that jump, and we trust You. We give not just when we have enough, but we give before we know, because we trust in our Heavenly Father. And right now, if you would, just take, your, take about 20 seconds with your eyes closed, head bowed. I want you to ask the Lord this question. Say, Father God, what are You saying to me through this message? Thanks for tuning in to the Ascent Church podcast. You can check in with us on social media at My Ascent Church. New episodes each week. Thanks. Thanks.